Thanks for listening today to In 16 Years. I'm Amy, and this is a podcast where I talk about what I've learned in 16 years of living with endo, severe IBS, fibromyalgia, and interstitial cystitis. My name is Brittany, and I live with celiac disease, anxiety, and my own hormonal fun. We hope this show will inspire you, empower you, and help you feel supported on your own health journey. Brittany and I are not doctors, dietitians, mental health professionals, experts on endometriosis, or any kind of qualified medical professional. So that means that none of the information we share on this podcast is medical or mental health advice. If you get inspired by something we say, always consult your qualified medical professional first before making any changes. You are not broken. And today we want to talk about exactly that. We want to talk about these feelings of feeling broken, of feeling inherently broken as a person, feeling that our body is broken, feeling that it's our fault that we're sick, feeling that we might have done something or not done something that contributed to us being sick. So today we want to talk about all of those feelings and we want to talk about how we are not broken no matter what anyone says, and how important it is for us to know that we are not broken and to believe that we are not broken. The reason why we really want to talk about this is because I have struggled with feelings of being inherently broken, feelings of being inadequate as a person, of being unlovable, of being a burden, of being a bother for so many years of my life. You know, feelings of this is my fault that I'm sick. Somehow I've done something to make myself sick or I'm sick because I'm not good enough. I'm sick because I'm flawed and broken as a human being. And so these are feelings that I have been learning to process and change the way that I feel, change my self-talks, change my self-perception. And so today we wanted to bring you a little bit about what I've been learning in case you feel a similar way. We're going to start out by having one of our wonderful and epic Amy story times, and this is going to be an endo horror story. So buckle up. I hope everybody's ready. <laughs> I hope I'm ready to live a, to <laughs> live live a traumatic endo story experience of my past. <sighs> Actually, I feel like now I'm not so affected by telling this story. Like it just, at this point, it was so long ago. It was about 15 years ago. And I really don't feel anything when I tell this story, but I can say that this was probably the most traumatic moment having to do with endometriosis in my life. And for years and years and years, I could not think about this story without feeling extremely hurt and sad inside. And the reason why I want to tell this story is because this story is a perfect example of my brokenness, my perceived brokenness with myself. After this experience, this event, this endo horror story happened, it was just, it was to me, it was the proof, the absolute proof that I was inherently broken and that it was my fault that I'm sick. Okay, now after you made us feel really bad about potentially laughing during this story. <laughs> <laughs> no, we want you to laugh. I told you I not I don't feel affected anymore. I've I've honestly I've healed this trauma and so it is it's okay for me to tell this story and I want us to have fun. I want us to laugh and make jokes. Okay, so I should still poke fun yeah, at you. Yeah, you should definitely okay. make fun of the story. Okay. <laughs> All right, I'm ready, but also 
Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, I'm ready. <laughs> well, it's really hard. And I think it's experience that although maybe a lot of people can't relate to the exact situation, they can relate to the feelings that I had mm-hmm. in the story of incredible shame and inadequacy. All right, to start the endo horror story. So we're going to set the scene. Now, how drastic the scene is going to be, I'm about to set is probably not what it was actually like, but for drama's sake. It was pretty drastic. (laughs) We're going to cue thunder and lightning and roaring seas as you travel alone in a rowboat across the ocean. That's not what happened. (laughs) That's not how you got to Mongolia from Japan. (laughs) This was not the life of pie. There was no tiger in my rowboat. Oh, darn, you got my reference. (laughs) Okay, but we're going to set that scene that you were traveling. From Japan to Mongolia. And there was thunder and lightning and you were in a small robot. Okay, that's what we're going to go with. (laughs) Tell us how it really was. All right, more like I was in a van with 10 other people. (laughs) So as Brittany said, I I went to Mongolia. And a lot of you know that I used to teach English in Japan. So I lived in Japan. At this time, I was a young 21 years old. I was so young. (laughs) Wow. Looking back, I'm like, wow, that was that was 15 years ago. And yeah, I was really young and impressionable and happy to be in Mongolia and excited. Not for long. <laughs> so there I was on my trip. And I went with one of my friends from Japan and we went to the capital of Mongolia and we basically signed up for a 10-day tour. And it was with a couple other foreigners that we didn't know. So it was like six Westerners. So my friend and four strangers were all around the same age, I would say like between 21 to 25. And then we had our Mongolian driver and the Mongolian guide who took us around the beautiful countryside of Mongolia, out into the outback. We went to the desert, the Gobi Desert. We went to huge open valleys and plains and mountains. And honestly, it was stunning. Mongolia is a beautiful country. It's pretty far away for a lot of us. Like I was really lucky I could go there because I was in Japan and it was extremely close and cheap for me to get there from Japan and quick. But if you ever have the opportunity to go to Mongolia, I truly recommend it. It is a beautiful country with beautiful people. So first, I just want to say that I had a really hard time on that trip in general. I did not know that I had endometriosis. And even if I did, I don't think it would have changed anything because First of all, we were, we were in the van driving all day long across the open countryside. So, you know, you're sitting in the van, your inflammation body's all like, I'm sitting the whole day in the van. And then you arrive to your destination. So basically we would go from like yurt to yurt out in the countryside where the herders and people lived. And then we would stay in the, in the yurt in the house of like someone out in the countryside. But I want to be really clear, like this was the outback. There was absolutely nothing. There was grass and sheep and mountain and desert and horses. And then a yurt around tent house that the Mongolian people live in. And this was, I mean, we were literally thousands of miles from any city, store, and even other people in the area. Like and it was amazing because there were no roads. So they would take the van and they would drive like over the grass and over the desert. And I they knew exactly where they were well, going they do because they use the landmarks. <laughs> so amazing. you can only drive in the daytime because, of course, mm-hmm. there's no electricity out there. And like I said, there's no roads. There's no signs. And so it's just really beautiful how how they lived. Mm-hmm. And honestly, the landscape is 
stunning. But I want to be really clear, like there was nothing around, you know, there was no doctor or hospital or store with tampons. Oh, no, I see where this is going. (laughs) I see the setup and I'm not ready for the drop. (laughs) Okay, so first to start, when we were in the yurts, like we slept on the floor in sleeping bags, which is just fine. Maybe for people who don't have the super endometriosis inflammation body, but for people like us who need about 30 mattresses to sleep on top plus cushions. Princess plus, and the pee over here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I am telling you now, I did not sleep. I barely slept the entire 10 days and I was in raging full body pain. So that was not fun to start. Second, the food situation was really hard for me because, you know, we're out in the outback. So There was a lot of like sandwiches and spaghetti and rice and gluten products like crackers and just a lot of foods that I could not eat. There was goat milk, which is lovely, but not for my intestines. So honestly, I was really miserable. Like I was having a great time and I was on adventure and I was really happy to be there, but I was suffering deeply. Could not sleep, could not eat, in pain the whole time. Just feeling really like strung out and, you know, on the verge of crying every single minute because I haven't slept and I haven't eaten. So that is the scene. Oh, I don't like this. I liked my scene better. (laughs) Your scene was really nice. You're like, and we're on the beach with our feet up and our robots. Thunder and lightning is It's easy. Oh, I don't like where this is going. (laughs) So on day like four, guess what came? I think we can all guess what came. Hell came. (laughs) You're right. The endo dragon swooped in. (laughs) Red dragon was like, you're in Mongolia. I heard it's so beautiful there. I'm going to come visit. I want to fly over the open plains. (laughs) Oh, no, red dragon. No, you weren't invited. (laughs) I want to see the desert and the mountains at the same time. I mean, it was stunning. The Gobi Desert is stunning, but. Red the dragon, red dragon wasn't here for Red that. dragon came in there. He's like, wow, <laughs> I've never seen sand dunes. You know what would look better? If I lit this all on fire. <laughs> That's what he was thinking. So my period came. And I just want to be clear, because it was a 10-day trip, and I wasn't supposed to get my period, but I think my period came because I was in such a stress. Yeah, I was yeah. like, my body was in such bad shape from the lack of sleep and the lack of eating, that there it was. No period supply kit. Again, I was 21. I still hadn't mastered, still hadn't mastered the art of bringing the emergency supply kit. Everyone that I was with was male. My friend was female, but her period was not coming either. So we had nothing. So my period came. I had no tampons, no menstrual cup, no menstrual underwear. Those things probably didn't even exist. Not by that point. Back then. So (laughs) really just had pads and tampons. Did not have any of those with me. Bleeding, gush, gushing in the pants and underwear so oh that's why they didn't need a road they just followed your blood trail is that is that what they did Hansel and Gretel you're you're like like, breadcrumbs it's blood trail you you tell the Mongolian guides you're like hey just in case you can't figure out how to get us back to the capital afterwards I'll just put I'll bleed a trail I'll put my vagina out the window I'll bleed little drops as we drive (laughs) and then we can find our way back and then it's the desert anyway so it's just gonna dry in place and I can wash away with rain or something so then we can then we can figure out how to get back to the capital Yeah. (laughs) So it began with me stuffing socks in my underwear. But that was not like, okay, fine, you're bloody. Yes, it sucks and it's horrible and you don't want to be bloody and you're worried that 
you know, so I was like, do you have a garbage bag? And so I sat on a garbage bag. So that was really fun. So here's what happened. What happens when Red Dragon comes? When our periods come, what happens for most of us, if not all of us listening? Lots and lots of blood, but even more, lots and lots of incapacitating pain. What do you mean, Brittany, by incapacitating pain? I mean screaming, writhing, vomiting, crawling out of your skin pain. Wow. Did I win the contest? Wow. <laughs> was wow. that a prize? Because yes. I'm right. <laughs> the endometriosis period arrived, and I was Ugh. in the middle of the outback. I mean, there was nothing but grass and sheep and greenery, beautiful greenery, for miles. There Should was, have asked the sheep if they'd there was if you nothing. borrowed some of their wool. Oh, my God. <laughs> Can you I know, make a pad with your wool, Mr. I, Sheep? <laughs> I asked the um I asked the guide, I'm like, hey, do you have a razor? Like, do you have something I can like buzz a sheep with? He's like, oh sure, let me look in my You let me leave look in behind my a nude kit. sheep at the previous year. <laughs> Let's see, we have this equipment to change the tire. We have some flares. Oh yeah, and we a have the blade. sheep buzzer. <laughs> Leave behind a naked sheep. Yeah, a naked sheep. But the and previous it's, year, it's every just... year you stop at, there's just suddenly a naked sheep, and no one knows why. <laughs> Your underwear are huge with like lamb's wool, and they're like, "What are you doing?" Before the invent of the tampon, that's what people did. I mean, yeah, that's not wrong. <laughs> that's lovely. I mean, better than putting like wood chips in there. Yeah, don't do that. Well, which some people have to do in yeah. some places. Don't because... don't do that if we can pick wool. Exactly. <laughs> so if you have a sheep, I choose pick the, sheep the wool first over the campfire ashes or the free bleed. <laughs> We just put you over a trash can. The, in the choices back of the were van. limited, people. I just put a whole sheep in my underwear. I'm like, Meh. where is it? Where is that it's... coming from? Meh. Amy, why are you bleeding like a sheep? Amy, why does it look like there are horns coming out of your vagina? Oh, ignore those. <laughs> They're just for me to hold on to when things get rough. Okay. Oh, that'd be so funny. <laughs> hold on. Okay, got the horns. The sheep eats a little hole through your underwear, and your pants is just little nose sticking out. Every once in a while, you stick a cheese cube down there. That sounds great, actually. All right, where can I get a sheep that can sounds fit in warm my underwear? <laughs> Thank you, sheep. So we basically want to say that the writhing pain happened, and it was horrible. And we were in the van, and there was just nowhere. To, there was no privacy. There was absolutely zero privacy. We were shoulder to shoulder in a van. Two people in the front, three people in the middle seats, and three people in the back seats. And they're not like separate seats. They're those seats where you the sit. The bench seats. Yeah, where you yeah. sit together and you're like shoulder to shoulder. And then suddenly I'm writhing, you know, twisting, squirming, like thrashing about. My face just looks like grimacing. I'm crying. I'm sobbing. I'm whimpering. It was so mortifying for me. And of course, the people with me, we were all so young, and and I don't blame them. They were so uncomfortable. They had no idea what to do. I had no idea what to do. My friend was like, why don't you put a jacket over your head, you know, to, like, cover, like, to give me any semblance of privacy? privacy. So I just, like, covered my head. Like, I put, like, a jacket over myself, not, like, with the hood. I mean, I just, like, put it on me like a tarp <laughs> and which was great because then I you know when you're in that kind of pain like you can't control your face mm -mm. like my face was making the ugliest faces and it was beet red and snot was dripping down my face and you know and then I moved to like a window seat and then then my friend was like why don't we turn up the radio and I know they were really trying to give me privacy we couldn't stop because first of all that was going to be going on for like hours 
And second of all, we're in the middle of nowhere. And like I said, there are no roads. Like if we don't keep driving on the schedule that we're on to get to our destination by darkness, then we're stranded. You don't have anywhere to sleep. Where we are, Mm -hmm. you know, then we have to sleep in the outback. So I, I fully understand like how awkward the situation was for everyone and the and like the pressure that the driver and the guide must have felt to like attend to one of their tour participants, but at the same time, like attend to the group as a whole. So we kept driving, but you know, the radio is blasting. They're all just like sitting silently, like listening to the radio. And I'm like screaming in the side, like squirming about. And then, then you know what began after. First, the pain. And then, like, 20 minutes after the onset of the pain begins the vomiting and diarrhea. <gasps> yes. <laughs> yeah. The vomiting and diarrhea. Of course, there are no bathrooms. So I was like, ah, stop the van right now. Please stop the van, please. And so they stopped the van and I just like rushed out and I went behind the van and I was like, you can just put it in park because it's not like I'm coming back and, you know, anytime soon. So they like parked the van. So it's literally me open nature we're like in the desert oh no (laughs) so i'm such a mess obviously i was vomiting my bowels were contracting and spasming i was having outrageous diarrhea i just like took my pants off i was naked from my waist down i was not even squatting because i could not handle squatting i was like on my knees kind of like pushed back Mm -hmm. vomiting and pooping Poop was splattering all over, like, my legs, my knee, you know, and because I couldn't, like, hold myself up. Mm -hmm. And then I would have, like, you know, my vomiting diarrhea episode. And then I would just, like, keel over next to my excretions, writhing around until 10 minutes later. It was like, ooh, ooh, round two, round two. Get back up. And and it was, it was, it was the worst moment of my life, I have to say, I think, with endometriosis. And the drivers, again, like I was out there behind the van where they were not looking. No, no one was looking out the window. You know, they were very polite and waiting for me. But of course, the driver or the guide every maybe 15 minutes was like, are you OK, honey? Do you think you can come back in the van? And I was like, I can't come back yet. I'm sorry. You know, so I was out there for like, I don't know, an hour or something. And then afterwards, I Afterwards, it's like, okay, I want to get back in the van now. Covered in poop. Oh, <laughs> my like, legs. we don't want you to. We're not like, you to Covered in poop. You know, well, I could ride my sheep, I guess. <laughs> yeah, come on. advantage of my sheep there. <laughs> so, <laughs> but it was like, had poop all over my legs from the splatter. It was just, yeah. And I was like, could someone give me some socks they don't want? Like, wipe myself Aww. down with socks. And then even I got back in the van, everyone was so quiet because, of course, as I was pooping and stuff, I was making a lot of screaming, like, yeah. horrifying pain noises. Like, uh, uh. I think they were wondering <laughs> if you were having an exorcism back there or <laughs> they're like, so, like trying to expel the red dragon. So is yes. the sheep like going inside of her? Is she becoming the sheep? <laughs> yes, she is becoming sheep. <laughs> <laughs> like, what exactly is happening back there? Okay. No one knows. That's you, hear the lot, you hear a lot of, like, screaming and, like, buying. <laughs> <laughs> the sheep start screaming. <laughs> no one knows. It's all scary. Everyone's scared. <laughs> so when all the spasms were done, although you're never really sure when they're done, but I was like, well, I feel like they're done enough. For you now. Know, it, like, an hour had gone by, and I probably vomited at least, like, eight times and had at least 12 beautiful diarrheas on my sheep. 
And so I was like, okay, I think I'm ready. Like I got back in the van. I got in the corner. I sat on my bag because I was free bleeding. And I had wiped my poo off of my legs and put my pants back on and put all those socks in a baggie. And then I covered my head with the jacket again. And then off we went. While I wanted to die under the jacket. Like I never wanted, I was hiding under a jacket. And I will tell you, I never ever wanted to come out from under my jacket ever <laughs> safe place again like we arrived at our destination and everyone got out of the van and i was like i cannot show my face like i felt so ashamed i felt i just could not show my face i was so so embarrassed so i just sat in the van with the jacket over my face <laughs> for like another two hours they were all sitting by the campfire and then everyone was going to bed and I just like went in and then someone had set up my sleeping bag and I just like crawled in uncomfortable and like writhed uncomfortably all night trying to cry silently. My tears. Luckily I had the sheep. The sheep wool I just kept wiping away. <laughs> Double, doubles, as, doubles as Kleenex. Yes. So. <laughs> sheep is multi-purpose. <laughs> <laughs> everyone should go buy a sheep right now. Okay. If there's anything I learned in Mongolia, we all need to own we a all sheep. We need a sheep. <laughs> For our periods. <laughs> I mean, that story is horrifying, to be honest. You know, jokes aside, that is horrifying to, ha- to have to experience something like that. I can't even imagine the fear and the isolation and the trauma that that would inflict on a person. But did anybody really talk to you? Did anybody ask you if you were okay or offer you any comfort? Or did they just, like, leave you alone? I just feel like they didn't know what to do, which, you know, I get because it's a really it's almost like an emergency situation, you know? But then there's that compiling of, it's not just like, oh my gosh, something happened. It's, or oh my gosh, she's sick. It's like, oh my gosh, she's sick and she's bleeding everywhere. And she's got, like, she came back in the van. I surely must have had a whiff of poo smell or more than a whiff. You know what I mean? So like, it was this compilation of like, I was really sick and it was a really awkward like first time situation for everyone but there was also all those layers of like societal shame we go to the bathroom in private for a reason society says right and then there i am behind the van like crapping like an animal so no no one asked like when i came in everyone was really awkward no one looked at me they were all looking down you know and i understand now like they did not know what to do but no one put their arm on my Like, no one put their hand on my arm and they were like, oh, my gosh, are you okay? You know, the next morning when we woke up, like, the guide came over and he was like, are you feeling better? And I wasn't feeling better. I mean, I was feeling better than, like, raging day one, 10 level pain. But then I was also, like, feeling really, you know, I was still, like, hunched over and in pain and debilitated. I had no painkillers, by the way. So it was just the whole situation was so ugly. And I felt like such an outcast. Like I felt so rejected by the group. And I feel like I probably would have felt rejected by the group even if they had treated me differently in that moment. So I want to say like I'm not judging them for how they treated me. Like I understand compassion is a skill that we practice and that we get over time. And we were all like 21, 22 years old. So like like I understand. So I'm not blaming them or like mad at them. But the reaction just compounded the shame and the, the feelings that I had of just being like an absolute 
Like I felt like a cockroach. Like I literally wanted to die. I wanted to die rather than go back in the van. Like I wanted the van to abandon me and I would just walk around Mongolia (laughs) with no pants on, (laughs) crapping myself a trail, following my blood trail, my Hansel and Gretel blood trail (laughs) back to the capital, even if it took me six days to walk there. Buzzing sheep on my way. Leave me alone. Sticking sheep wool up in my vagina. Like, (laughs) that is what I wanted. Like, I wanted them to just abandon me because I felt so emotionally abandoned that having to be in physical proximity with people who I felt were judging me and I felt, you know, and I also felt like because we were were on a trip, like, what was the purpose of the trip? Was to have fun. We paid to go on this beautiful trip. Like, everyone's on this adventure. Everyone's on. Like we were on summer break from teaching, like everyone is on this adventure. They want to have fun. And then like this person, me, this person comes and like, quote unquote, ruins the day. Do you know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. I also felt this kind of like guilt. Yeah. Yeah, Kind of like no one said like, oh, you're ruining our trip. But it was kind of like, we have to go. We have to move on. Like we're on a schedule. If we, you know, we're not going to be able to, to tour these rock formations if we don't hurry and go. So it's like also I was kind of ruining our our trip right because these trips are run on a schedule and the schedule doesn't include like some endometriosis sufferer getting her period randomly and crapping her brains out behind the van for two hours I, oh I mean, that's not written in the schedule <laughs> i didn't say they probably the should schedule. they probably should write that in <laughs> they ask you when you sign up for the tour you're like uh okay so do you have endometriosis? And you're like, yes. So like, okay, we're going to have to do a little bit of juggling here. We're going to have to add two hours to each day just for <laughs> you to have puke to, and crap. Okay, we're going to have to drive uh, much faster than we anticipated <laughs> to make up for the time. <laughs> but we we already had this trash can for you. It comes pre in the van. Um, we also now carry boxes of tampons and pads because we have learned. There was this one girl 15 years ago, and so now... <laughs> Everybody comes standard with a sheep if you have a uterus <laughs> or you have periods. <laughs> also, they're like, oh, okay, you have endo. So we're going to go ahead and swap out one of the seats in the van for one of those, like, squatty potties. You just, just going to sh- all day. <laughs> You're going to sit on that the whole time. Just free bleed, baby. <laughs> We've installed a piece of rope and a shower curtain opaque. Mm-hmm. Obviously, no one will be able to see you. <laughs> okay, your own built-in bathroom. And there's also a cone of silence. It's this new technology that's been developed at NASA. And all you have to do is press a button and you can scream as loud as you want and nobody can hear it. It's also smell proof. (laughs) I can't imagine how in that moment you're experiencing all those physical traumas and physical manifestations of endometriosis. But then to also be carrying the emotional and mental feelings. Those are heavy feelings to feel like you are worthless and guilty and broken and a waste of space or not worth anybody's time or I of course I ruined it because this is what I'm I always do like all those thoughts that come into our minds in situations like this obviously we're not all having them in Mongolia but (laughs) these thoughts do come into our minds and I can't imagine experiencing both of those at the same time in such an extreme place in such an extreme situation And I can't imagine that any part of that was easy. And it's no wonder why it took you so long to be able to tell the story without being affected, because that is a heavy, heavy burden. 
And of course, most of us, I mean, if there's anybody else who has had a situation like this in Mongolia, please tell us. Oh, <laughs> write me right away. But, well, maybe you went after I went. So when you signed so up for the bad. tour, they were like, um, are you one of those endometriosis sufferers? People. And then we got a kit for you. <laughs> oh, someone already trailblazed the path. And you were like, oh, thank you. So really, you need to send me a thank you card, it sounds like. <laughs> so if that's you, please let us know. But for the majority of us, the 99.999 repeating percent of us, we've not had this kind of situation exactly happen. But I think 99.999% repeating, repeating percent of us have experienced those feelings. Those feelings come up for us. And those situations, while not in Mongolia, also come up for us. We can have a flare Anytime in front of coworkers in a really big important conference or missing somebody's important event like a wedding or a birthday because you have gotten your period or having something extreme happen where it's an emergency or you feel like you've ruined something for somebody or you're not able to control your screaming or vomiting or diarrhea when you're in front of strangers or out in public or you eat something on a first date and suddenly you're in the bathroom for two hours because you're having a flare reaction to the food. And your date is like, uh, and then you text your date from the bathroom. You're like, this was fun, um, but reschedule. But you need to leave. He's like, but we only got the appetizers. You're like, yeah, just <laughs> eat the dinner on your own. I'm not coming out of the bathroom. Okay. I mean, I don't think that's an uncommon experience. <laughs> I actually had kind of a, a situation on my first date with my now husband who, thankfully, that didn't drive him away. But we were in a museum and I was in the bathroom having raging diarrhea for two hours. And he just sat outside and kept texting me every like 15 minutes asking if I'm OK. And that was traumatizing for me. It was my first date with this person. And I'm already like, hey, welcome to my life. I hope you like it. <laughs> he did. <laughs> but... You should have got you one of those portable toilets that they now put in the Mongolian yes, tour buses. That would have been really great. <laughs> in the tour vans. <laughs> so it's that kind of feeling. I mean, on a smaller scale, I can relate to how I was so ashamed. I was so embarrassed, even though this is my body and I did nothing to make this happen to my body. And this is just what happens sometimes. But I felt like I had ruined it and I had messed up the whole day and I had so much guilt and shame. I think we've all had situations where these feelings have become so overwhelming for us. And how we can look back on specific times in our lives or days or experiences, and it's overshadowed by this horrible experience, the horrible feelings and trauma that happened because we had our period or a flare. So while the Mongolia may not tie us together, I think the feelings do. You know, it's funny. My good friend Lori told me about my end of horror stories that I kind of remind her of if Lucille Ball had endometriosis. <laughs> And I thought that was really funny because, you know, Lucille Ball always gets herself in these r really ridiculous situations <laughs> true. and these absurd situations where, like, everything goes wrong and everything piles up <laughs> on top of her. And I just want to say, like, I know that my stories seem really ridiculous and they almost seem like I make them up at times. But the truth is that all of these stories are real. And the reason why they are so ridiculous and it seems like I never learn as I tell story after story Aww. like the same things are happening I go on a trip or I you know hang out with someone and the red dragon comes and you know these really similar things happened to me when I was young and the reason why is because 
as I look back on my life, and I think so many of us can absolutely relate to this, I was so gaslit by all of the people in my life that I then gaslit myself. I was told, as so many of you were, by all of my doctors, doctor after doctor after doctor told me that what I felt in my body wasn't real, that what I felt was not really what I was feeling, that my pain was supposedly exaggerated, and that I had a low pain tolerance, and all the tests confirmed over and over that I was quote-unquote perfectly healthy. And so everyone around me was giving me the message that I was just supposed to go on with my life. And because I was so quote-unquote perfectly healthy, I, for a variety of reasons, did not have any support from my family. So I moved abroad at 19 years old. I was living abroad. I was alone. Like I had my friends, but I didn't have any like integral support system when I was in my 20s. You know, and my friends at that time when I was 21 or 22 or we're all the same age. So, you know, we're all just coming into adulthood. We're all, all these experiences are brand new for me and for them. And like, we didn't have that wisdom and capacity of experience to deal with these situations. And, you know, a lot of the people that I hung out with just at that age had wanted to be carefree and they weren't interested in all of my like raging health problems that always seem to ruin people's, you know, nights out and vacations and, and things that we were doing. Like it was supposed to be a really carefree time and my body was not doing carefree things. It was just, it was really, really hard. And I pushed myself so hard to keep up with all of the able-bodied people around me because I thought that I too was able-bodied and I judged myself. I could not understand why my body was so broken. I felt so inherently worthless and broken and valueless. And I could not for the life of me understand why I had such excruciating pain why I had such digestive problems, why I could not hold my pee in and I had urinary incontinence. Like I had no explanation for that. So the explanation, since I was quote unquote perfectly healthy, was that there was something inherently wrong with me as a person. I was broken. And this was my fault because I wasn't good enough. If I was better, then maybe I wouldn't be so sick. And so I just gaslit myself. I didn't listen to what my body needed. I didn't honor myself. I didn't say time after time when my period would come like that. I was like, yeah, my periods are, you know, really incapacitating, but maybe not next time. Maybe that was just like a weird fluke. Yeah. 10 years of flukes every single (laughs) month in a row. But like I gaslit myself so hard that I didn't honor what I needed. So I went on these really difficult, even for able-bodied people, like difficult vacations out in the outback. I would go clubbing all night long. I would go to festivals and I would get sick after sick and have incident after incident, these mortifying, really shameful feeling incidents. But I just kept trying to live the quote unquote normal life. Like everyone else around you. Of all my friends around me. I had so much self-loathing. I hated myself. I hated myself because... I felt like an outcast and a freak and incompetent and inadequate, and I hated my guts. I hated myself, and I was so mean to myself. When I was feeling sick, I was like, you're fine. Suck it up, Amy. And I was so awful to myself and just pushed and pushed myself to go out and and to live like everyone else and 
And in order to keep up with everyone around me, I, you know, physically and emotionally, I had a lot of very harmful coping mechanisms, unhealthy and harmful coping mechanisms that that I don't have now. Also, this makes me think how 15 years ago, 10 years ago, even five years ago, and to be honest, the access to community was also so different and how now we are able to cultivate a community where we can share experiences with each other and not just experiences, but knowledge. 15 years ago, you would not have been able to... 10 years ago, 15 years ago, there was... There nothing. was nothing. There weren't these Facebook groups and these no support Instagram groups, communities. No communities. And yeah. You just had the access to the people who were around you. Yeah. And it just makes me think about how even knowing that you're not the only person to have heavy bleeding or I'm not the only person to have cramps in my anus when my period comes or I'm not the only person to have vaginal discharge. That's actually normal. Or, oh, this pain isn't normal, but there's a group of people that have this extreme pain. Like, There's such access to other people who have periods for the sharing of knowledge that helps us to know that it's not in our heads. That extreme gaslighting you described could have been helped by access of information, access to other people with the same experiences. And that's honestly so incredible that we have more access to each other, that in privileged places we have this access to Instagram and Facebook where we can talk to people who are experiencing what we are. And while that doesn't necessarily make the feelings go away, it does help us to empower ourselves and also just feeling not so alone. I can't imagine how completely and utterly alone you felt that entire trip. Just like everybody was looking at you and judging you and you must have felt so isolated and alone. And so I'm just very grateful in this moment for our access to each other and how incredible it is that we have access to people in the community and also closer access to medical professionals who now can advocate for us. Whereas 15 years ago, like you said, nobody believed you. And why would you believe that you were sick when everybody tells you that you're not? And for you to say, "Okay, no, I believe I'm sick at 21 years old is so hard to be that sure of yourself. When everybody and all information you see says that you're not sick. So just very grateful to our community in this moment. And for preventing such deep feelings of isolation in any little way at all is an incredible feat. Absolutely. I think the access to community and just being able to all be there for each other. I mean, this endo community that I have found on Instagram has done so much for me. I feel so validated and understood and supported. And I am so grateful for all of the friends that I've made, that we have made through Instagram and through this podcast. And I think there's so much power in feeling like you're not the only one. And when I was younger, I felt like I was the only person going through this because I was the only person that I knew going through this. And like I said, I didn't have access to know that all of 200 million people have endometriosis or even that I had endometriosis. And all I kept getting the messaging was that what you're going through is not normal. It's not normal to rush the toilet 20 times a day. It's not normal to have debilitating pain on your period. It's not normal to scream out during a bowel movement. I just kept being told by friends, by doctors, by family, it's not normal. But no one was linking that to it's not normal. 
so therefore you're sick and have a disease. It, mm-hmm. The messaging was, it's not normal, so therefore you're not normal as a human being. There's something wrong with you because mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with your body medically because all the tests, a lot of tests, colonoscopies, endoscopies, even a diagnostic laparoscopy, looking for endometriosis and that in- incompetent, sorry to say, that incompetent doctor who was trying to do a good thing, looking to see if I had endo, missed it. She missed my endo. And so no one believed I had endo. And that got discarded from the differential diagnosis. Everything just got like, oh, it could be that. Oh, the tests say it's not that. The tests say it's not that. So what you're going through is not normal. You're not normal. There's something wrong with you, inherently wrong with you as a human being. And that was the messaging that I was getting. And I think that's the messaging that a lot of us are getting. And I think at times that is a messaging, even when we get diagnosed with endometriosis, you know, because we are in a society that values able-bodied people who can be productive and have certain abilities and quote unquote, keep up. And we're in a society that does not value rest, that does not value, at least in the United States we're talking about here, but maybe in much of Western society at large does not value resting, setting boundaries, a work-life balance. We're in a society that does not prop up the bodies of people with disabilities or people who have chronic illness. And so the messaging subconsciously, subliminally that I think we're getting constantly is, oh, like, yeah, I know you have endo, but like, really, you have to rest again? (sighs) I roll. Okay, yeah, we can order that gluten-free. It's like, the hammer is trying to nail us in to this carpentry that we don't fit in. It's trying to put the round peg in the square peg, and we're not fitting because we need the round peg, not the square peg. But society's like, no, everyone must be a square peg or an octagonal. How do you say that? Octagonal <laughs> or an oct- octagon? I don't know, or an octagon, <laughs> or it doesn't have to be a square, you know. But society's like, you got to be a square. And you're like, no, but I'm a star. <laughs> You knew you were going to go there. <laughs> I'm the moon shape. <laughs> I'm an octagonal. <laughs> and also, that hole needs to be big enough for my sheep to fit in there. <laughs> needs to have ram horn cutouts. I think one of the other additional layers of difficulty with endometriosis is that people relegate it to just simply being about a period. And when speaking to other people who also menstruate, They correlate the entire disease to the experience of a period, and endometriosis is a full-body disease, and it affects more, way more than just our reproductive organs or our periods. And on top of that, periods are so taboo and shameful in our society, and so is bodily function in general in our society. So talking about vomiting or diarrhea or menstruation is seen as disgusting and gross, and you can't talk about that in polite society. Whereas talking about other diseases that don't affect those specific body parts aren't seen as so shameful. You know, when a person is diagnosed with cancer and they share that diagnosis with somebody, they're often not met with, oh, yeah, my cousin had the same cancer. It was totally easy. It was fine. Why are you sick? Why do you have to have chemo? They didn't have to have chemo. But when we... Have you tried yoga? Have you tried celery juice? (laughs) But when we... Hold on. What if I feed celery juice to the sheep in my underwear? (laughs) Then you're going to have green diarrhea. You and don't want wait, that. And then the, and all, while the sheep does diarrhea, <laughs> it's called downward sheep from now forward. Dripward sheep. <laughs> Celery sheep. It's an alliteration. Child's pose gets renamed to bow. <laughs> Mammals. <laughs> wait, what is it? 
baby pose. <laughs> baby cheat pose. <laughs> but conversely to that experience with that diagnosis, when you share that you have endometriosis with somebody, often we are met with, oh, yeah, my cousin's sister's husband's wife has endometriosis and she's fine. Or that's just a bad period. I have bad periods, too. What are you talking about? And it's so easily and readily dismissed by people that we are trying to confide in or people that should not just be dismissing any disease. No disease deserves to be dismissed or minimized because somebody else somewhere down the line of my friends and family also has it and they're fine. So what it also does is hold us to an unfair standard that if these people can be okay with my disease, then why am I not okay with my disease? I should have it together just as much as these people have it together. But as we know that that's not true of any disease, even with something like cancer, cancer can be different stages, which for that has different meaning than with endometriosis, but it can be different aggressive levels in different locations on the body, have different symptoms. If that same fairness is given to other diseases, we should receive that with endometriosis as well. And I think that that's another layer that makes it so difficult is that we don't. We're often told that we're not living up to somebody else's expectation or standard of what we should be living like with endometriosis. And that's a really hard thing to grapple with. Well, and sometimes I feel like that even comes within our community itself, that we can see other people living with endometriosis and we hear that when they went gluten-free, their pain went away. Or that, you know, when they started doing acupuncture, a lot of their symptoms cleared up. Or when they had excision, they felt you know, so much better. And then we can take that and apply those standards to ourselves and say, okay, well, I went gluten-free and, you know, nothing really happened for me. And I'm trying to exercise every single day. And this person saw so much benefit, but I'm not seeing any benefit. And I had excision, but I'm still having a lot of symptoms afterwards. Or this person recovered from their laparoscopy and they were back at work in two weeks. So why is it two months later and I'm still exhausted, napping every single day, unable to get back to work and in a ton of pain and I can't even bend down to tie my shoes without wincing in pain. Well, how come I'm not seeing those results? What am I doing wrong? Why am I not worthy? Why am I not deserving of seeing those results? How come everyone else is getting better or handling their endo better than I am? And I know myself, I had those feelings before I was diagnosed, I mean, I was sure that I was inherently broken, but I was also like, as I aged and, you know, got into like my late 20s, I was also sure that just like something was wrong with my body, even though I wasn't quite able to pinpoint it. I just thought I was like really, really sensitive. And as I watched people around me talk about how they were, you know, helping and curing their illnesses by journaling about their repressed emotions and changing their diet working through their traumas and doing yoga and just doing like this handful of lifestyle practices that I was wholeheartedly devoting myself to every single day. But I wasn't getting better. In fact, I was getting worse. As I aged, my symptoms, they just kept getting worse, even though my lifestyle just kept getting healthier and healthier. And it was so baffling and confounding to me why this was happening. And it was just more proof that I was broken. I feel that it's important for us to say as a collective, and I mean everybody, not just in our community, but everybody in every endometriosis community and 
probably the whole entire world. It's important for us to say as a collective that we're not broken and it's not our fault that we have a chronic illness. It's not our fault that we have endometriosis. We didn't do anything to cause endometriosis in our bodies, and we don't do anything to cause this disease to ravage our entire experience in our lives and every part of our being. There's not a special way of eating or a special way of exercising or a special way of living that could have prevented us from getting endo or that will cure us. Endometriosis has no cure. Nothing that we do will 100% cure us of endometriosis. Not being a good person, not being a bad person, not being morally upright in somebody's idea of morality, not eating perfectly because there's no such thing. What about celery juice? Not celery juice, not kale enemas. What about yoga? (laughs) Not yoga. All of these things can help some of us in some of our symptoms, but none of them will cure us. What about steaming my yoni? Uh, What about my my sheep licking out my yoni? (laughs) Maybe the sheep clean would do something. (laughs) I love how eloquent that sounds. It's not steaming your yoni. It's the sheep clean. It's the sheep clean. (laughs) How long is a sheep's tongue? (laughs) Can you imagine? It chews on grass and dirt and then like cleans up your blood. no one do that. No one stick a sheep's tongue up their vagina. Okay. These are pure jokes, people. These are not known cures and they never will be. No, definitely not. What if the sheep mouthwashes with celery juice before it gives you the sheep mm. clean in the vagina. Mm, still no. <laughs> still definitely no. <laughs> Aside from all of those, which can sound wild, but are just as wild as some of the things I think some of us have been told in order to cure our endo, quote well, unquote. What if I stop having sex with demons? Oh, duh. <laughs> Obviously. Uh, no, still not a thing. But can I still have sex with sheep if I stop with the demon? Um, you should not be having sex with sheep at all. So if we're we're having this conversation, I think we need to have a separate conversation outside of this podcast. Maybe that is why I have endo. Oh, okay. Sheep though. <laughs> endo sheep driosis. That's the cause. You touched a sheep once. That's how you got endo. I think all of those feelings that we feel. They're valid feelings, but they're lies, as in they're not truths to us. Because we have endo doesn't mean that we're worthless. Because we have endo doesn't mean that we did something to deserve it. Because we have a flare doesn't mean that, of course, I'm going to have a flare because everything I do is terrible and I'm broken and everything's wrong with me and I'm worthless. All of those feelings are real and valid and you should never shove those feelings away. You should work through them. But they are lies. They are not true because having endometriosis and experiencing pain or flares has nothing to do with who we are as a person. It has nothing to do with our inherent value as human beings. And I liked what Amy said earlier about compassion being a practice and a learned skill and how I think often we are so ready to give compassion to others, especially in our community. We are so compassionate to each other. Well, no one was ready to give it to me in the van in Mongolia. Well, but. no. <laughs> no. But what I'm saying is like we we have learned from people who experience such extreme trauma and experiences that a little compassion goes a long way and we're so much more readily able to give it to others in our community, but when it comes to giving it to ourselves, we are completely and utterly incapable. 
And I think that that is one of the biggest truths, actually, is that we are just as deserving of compassion from ourselves as other people around us are deserving. I would not yell at somebody else for having a flare, yet I could yell at myself inside for having a flare. I would not say to somebody, you ruined your first date, you're a terrible person. But when I did it, of course, I said that to myself. So I think that that compassion, that learned practice needs to be inwards as much as it is outwards and recognizing that those other thoughts are lies, but that we are worthy and we are inherently valuable. We are not broken or flawed or worthless. We need to recognize what what are truths and what are lies. And that's a really long practice. (laughs) It's really difficult. But I think it matters to do that. There was a time before I got diagnosed, before I knew what was wrong, and even once I got diagnosed, where I felt like if I could just be a little more perfect, then things would be better for me. If I could just follow, you know, anti-inflammatory diet that I was following for my endo, if I could just follow my diet more perfectly, maybe I would feel a little bit better. If I could just take a walk every single day, maybe I would feel a little better. If I could just sleep the perfect amount of hours and meditate the perfect amount and have the perfect stress level, and there is no perfect. It is impossible. It is 100% impossible to be perfect. And even if you were perfect. Even if you lived in like a (laughs) monastery with no other people around, it would still be impossible to be perfect. Society, the way that it's set up, is against us. It's really hard in our society to take care of ourselves because our society doesn't value us taking care of ourselves. Our society values us pushing ourselves to the breaking point so that we can produce more and make more and and consume consume more. more. Oh, jinx, my (laughs) God. And buy more sheep. (laughs) Poor sheep. Poor baby. No sheep were hurt in the making of this podcast. Let me ask the sheep in my underwear right now. <laughs> hey, Billy. <laughs> How you doing out there? I was going to ask you what your sheep's name was. <laughs> Don't put pressure on yourself to be more perfect because it's unachievable. It's unattainable. It's not possible. You know, sometimes it looks like, oh, this person has it really put together. But that's the outside image that this person wants to show the world. The presentation isn't the reality. Even my own presentation, I mean, you know, with the people around me, like with my coworkers and with my friends, my close inner circle, like Brittany and my boyfriend and a few other people, I mean, they know my truths. But I think to the majority of my coworkers, like I come off as a super put together, organized, like I come across like I have my A game and I'm always 100 percent. But the truth is that that's that's just the outer shell that I put up to protect myself when I'm unraveling inside. Like I'm often holding it together by a string. The reason why I come off, you know, looking so organized, because I have to be super organized with my food, with my sleep, with my schedule. I'm so rigid and almost in the past I was obsessive. I'm not now, but I'm so careful about everything that I do because debilitating pain is lurking behind, you know, every situation that I get in. And I'm trying to to stave off my my symptoms so that I don't have a flare. The way that we look on the outside is not always reflective of the way that we look and feel on the inside. And so 
for me, it's been really important to realize that, that so many people are just trying to hold it together. Even on the outside, we don't know what they're going through. And I think another thing is that the most important skill I have learned in my entire life is to be kind to myself and to have that self-compassion. Like what Brittany said, where she would never say those things to another person and she just turns that vicious self-talk on herself. I loathed and I hated myself. And trying to find like self-love or self-compassion was so difficult for me. And I really just had to start where I was, where I was in a situation where I hated myself. I hated my body. I hated how inherently valueless and worthless I was. And I had to just find ways to, to feel neutral about myself, find ways to just start to like myself, not love myself, not embrace myself and who I was and all the things that were wrong with me. That was impossible when I started this journey. But just, in, just starting to say, okay, I'm not perfect and that's okay like trying to be okay, not trying to love who I was or say like, I'm so great and I'm so proud of who I am. That was like so far out of reach at that time. But just to say like, it's okay that things are like this. There are, there are things I like about myself. Like I like how creative I am. I like how organized I've become because of this illness. But <laughs> not a great reason, but thanks anyway. Like there are there are things that I like. I like that my hair is black. It's shiny. I like that. Like, I like my toenails. Only when they're painted blue. But when they're <laughs> painted blue, I like them. And so it was like this really small, like tiny, tiny things. Not being like, I love my body. Inst- like hating my body and then going like, I love my body. Because that, that's not true. And that feels fake and Disingenuous. false. And that's pushing aside real feelings that we're trying to work through. Going from I hate myself to I love myself isn't like I'm just going to shove aside all the feelings of hate and pretend I love myself. It's I'm going to start to try to actively change the way that I feel step by step, one little thing at a time. I think it's also important to realize that even if perfect were achievable, which obviously Amy just said it's not, even if perfect were achievable, it would make no difference because being perfect doesn't unlock some level where it's all of a sudden, oh, well, you're perfect. You achieved 100 out of 100. That means your endo is specially cured. Like being perfect would actually have nothing, no bearing on your endo or your symptoms. Can you imagine it's like a video game where yeah, you go through you unlock life an achievement. with every single flare that you have? It's like you get a special weapon or a special gemstone. A power like, up. Wow. Like an extra life or something like that. I think it does, except the video game, our, our special power-ups are just self-compassion and love for those around us <laughs> and learning how to live with my illness. Those oh, are what we get. The boring, boring <laughs> wisdoms that help us have better emotional quality yes, of life. Yes, those are the power-ups. Oh, yeah, I roll. But it's just important to know that as, as important as it is to acknowledge that perfection is unobtainable, it's also important to acknowledge that even if it were, it would not matter. It does not change that endometriosis is not our fault. It does not change that endometriosis is incurable. It will not make us suddenly feel better just because we have achieved something perfectly. So it's not possible. And even if it were, it doesn't matter. But if it were, you would get a lot of really cool points in the game. Yeah, that'd be awesome. (laughs) (laughs) 
And something I mentioned earlier about not like shoving the feelings down deep inside of us, I think it's important to not do that and get in the practice of actually confronting our feelings because the feelings that we have are 100% valid. So feeling that you're broken is a valid feeling to have. But it's also important to confront that feeling and just acknowledge and understand if that is a feeling that I'm having or is that the truth or is that just a belief I have? Where does that kind of fall in my alignment? Because at the time we're experiencing something like in the moment feeling like we're broken and saying, I just feel like I'm broken, I'm utterly worthless. That feeling isn't wrong to have. That feeling isn't a lie to have. You do feel that way and you should acknowledge that you feel that way. But it's also not true that you are broken or that you are worthless because those two things are different. Feeling a certain way and having it be an absolute truth are two different things. So to put it in like an easy way, say you broke up with your partner and you're heartbroken, but your heart's not actually broken. So like there is a truth. And there is a feeling. And you can feel worthless, but it's absolutely not true that you factually are worthless. That untrue fact, that absolute bullsheep. <laughs> you, <see what> you see what I did there? She's so crafty. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> oh, the Billy liked it too. He just kind of <laughs> tickled my belly with his horns right then. <laughs> so that's bullsheep. Okay. So there's a difference between me saying, I feel broken. And I do feel broken. I remember when my sex started being like sex was always kind of painful. But when like deep penetrative sex became painful in the way that after I had sex, I would have raging cramps for hours and hours. I felt that that in addition to everything else that I was going through, that that's it. That was the last straw. And I was broken. Like my body was just outright broken and i felt broken and i i was i was sure that i was broken i was broken as a human being i felt that i was broken as a woman i felt that this was going to break up our relationship like i felt so broken i was convinced i'm i'm broken but there's a difference between i feel broken and i am actually a broken human being what happens when things are broken they're worthless we throw them away you know, we need to fix them, we need to repair them, or we need to get rid of them, we need to replace them. And so I think there's a lot of, like, when we feel that we are broken, which we may not be saying to ourselves, like, I feel broken, we could be using different language, like, I am so worthless, I'm so inadequate, I'm so incompetent, I'm so useless, I'm such a burden, I'm such a bother. I feel like all of these are pretty synonymous with each other and pretty synonymous with, like, I'm broken because basically we're just saying like inherently as a human being, my flaws are so, so big, like there's no value in me. Like I am not worthwhile. So why should anyone else invest in me? Why should anyone else love me? Like I'm undeserving and unlovable. Exactly. I think that acknowledging the difference between the feeling and the fact is one of the very first steps for working with that feeling. And Working through a feeling doesn't mean, okay, work through it. It's immediately over five minutes later. It could be working through a feeling for years, for decades. But acknowledging the difference between the feeling and the fact can help us to not internalize and make that part of our narrative as a human being. Saying, I feel broken often 
is different than saying, I'm broken, so there's just no use. That is a very crucial first step into separating our feelings from who we believe we are as people and as human beings. Like, if I'm broken and I can't be fixed, then, then why? Why try at all? And so that, for me, that was, that was really important as I began, you know, working through my feelings of being a burden, being a bother, being unloving, being undeserving, being inherently broken. It took a long time. It's taken years. I'm still working through it. That's a lot of my book is about working through these feelings and stories that I have. So I think wherever you are, if you have these feelings, like Brittany said, acknowledge them, but also acknowledge that these feelings are not forever. This is not permanent. Right now, you might feel that your soul and your heart and your you know, your, your emotional health is splattered all over the room. Pieces of you here and there and everywhere that you're trying to find and put yourself back together. But you can and will put yourself back together. I don't know in how much time. Everyone is different. It is different for all of us to recover physically, emotionally, to find peace, to find acceptance, to feel whole. That journey is unique and individual. And different for all of us, but it is possible. So many people in the world today, so many people before us have put themselves back together, have found peace, have found equanimity and serenity and calm and wholeness and healing in absolutely awful, unbearable human situations. And we can too. We just have to believe it's possible. And then we have to put practices into place to get us there. And that. I think can start with looking at our narrative, looking at our self-talk, being kind to ourselves, seeing a mental health professional if we can to work through trauma, to work through our feelings, and talking to other people about their stories and getting inspiration in their stories and seeing that, you know, it is possible to put ourselves back together. And then having people tell us in our lives that we are not undeserving, we're not a burden, we're not bothersome, and then telling that to ourselves and finding those little things that we like about ourselves, be it our fingernails, be it our smile, these little things, what do we like about ourselves and how can we keep expanding that and keep letting in that, that like and then eventually that love for ourselves. I think also in the topic of exploring our feelings and working through our feelings, it's important for us to take a moment to kind of unravel that blanket statement of, I feel broken, and dig a little deeper into exactly what we're feeling. So while feeling broken is a valid feeling, I like to ask myself, well, why do I feel that I feel broken? And then I can kind of get to the underlayer, the underbelly of that feeling. Such as, okay, I've been laying in bed for three days and I can't stop crying and I don't want to do anything. I'm just broken. Okay, well, why do I feel broken? Okay, because I can't do anything that I'm supposed to be doing. So I feel like I'm useless. Why do I feel useless? Because I feel like I'm not being productive. Because society told me I had to be doing things all the time. Exactly. Well, then I can acknowledge... (laughs) then I can acknowledge that that feeling is a false narrative that I'm telling myself that I have to be this way in order to be considered worthy. 
then I can also acknowledge that I'm experiencing depressive episode and I have nothing to do with that. It is not my fault I'm experiencing that. And similarly for Amy with her experience in Mongolia, her blanket feeling was, I am broken. But what she was feeling was, first of all, a reaction to a highly traumatic event. But then she was feeling all these other feelings like guilt and shame and working through why we're feeling guilt and why we're feeling shame and what brought on those feelings, what they mean, allows us to acknowledge them and and hopefully the end result is to let them go. I'm able to let go my feeling that I'm useless because I'm not being productive. I have to let that feeling go because it doesn't serve me. It doesn't help me to feel that way. But I'm allowed to feel it. (laughs) I'm 100% allowed to feel it. And I will continue to feel it my whole life, just like the feelings of guilt and shame and inadequacy and fear and isolation are always going to pop up. Sometimes when we least expect it, sometimes with very good reason, like your first time you experience endo or the next time you have a flare or suddenly sex starts to hurt or suddenly this food is a trigger for me. All those feelings can pop up at any moment. But it is important to acknowledge that they're feelings and then understand why we're feeling them and try to get at the root and find the truth because that feeling is telling us something that's false. We shouldn't feel guilt for having endometriosis. So we have to find the false in order for us to tell ourselves the truth. Well, I like what you said because I feel like if we look at ourselves with a really critical lens, you know, let's say that we're so mean to ourselves. And I think sometimes we're so mean to ourselves. It's really the voice of like all of the bullies that we've ever had. And especially if we were young and we had, you know, a lot of bullies or critical voices in our life telling us we weren't good enough. We, you know, our grades weren't high enough. We weren't pretty enough. We weren't XYZ enough. Society loves to tell us that we're not good enough. Society loves like you how society? do you think they sell so much product? Exactly. Like, you're not beautiful <laughs> enough. Buy our mascara, lip gloss. Yep. Like, you're not beautiful enough is the consistent messaging for people assigned female at birth. Mm-hmm. You are not productive enough is the consistent messaging just for, like, all of us. Work <laughs> in general, like, society, you know, money. You got to get the house and the car. And the, there's so much messaging about how we are not enough. And especially if we grew up in a, like, in a home or with teachers or bullies that were telling us this critical voices of you are not enough. And we were hearing that a lot too when we were young. I think we can really internalize that voice and it can be really, really hard to shake that voice if we've been living with that voice since we were five, six, ten years old over and over the messages, we are not enough. But you know what you said about if so if we're looking at ourselves with that like the critical bully. Let's just bring in the critic, the self-critic, the bully, the bully. <laughs> I knew you were going to go for that. <laughs> I tried. I got to get the sheep the in there. Bully. The bully. Okay. <laughs> so goatee. You have the bully <laughs> looking at Brittany during her like, you know, very real depressive episode where Brittany is in bed. She, she just she has no motivation or energy to get out of bed. She's just like stuck in bed, like glued to the bed. And the bully comes and points his finger at Brittany or his horn, I guess. And he points his horn <laughs> at Brittany and he's like, Brittany's so lazy. It's her fault. Brittany, what is wrong with you? Just get up, Brittany. Just get Everyone up. Everyone else can Everyone do it. Everyone else has gotten up. You can't even brush your teeth. 
Your breath stinks. I can smell it from here. Your feet stink. No one's going to like you because that's gross. You're you literally you haven't showered. Your hair is a mess. Like you look ugly right now. You look bad and you're Why lazy. Are you inside my head? I am. <laughs> you're bringing my inside head outside. I don't like it. <laughs> the sheep critic, the self critic, the sheep critic. That's some bullshit. <laughs> the sheep critic knows what's inside your head and my head and all our heads because mm-hmm. I feel like we all like. We're so mean to ourselves and we think oh, Brittany, you know, is attacking herself. Like, I'm so lazy not knowing that, like, I'm in bed with a flare, also calling myself super lazy. Yeah, we have all the same thoughts lying, none of us know. Lying in my puddle of blood from my period, mm-hmm. being feeling so incapable of getting up and, like, you know, changing my bloodied underwear. But so I'm calling myself lazy. Brittany's at home with her depressive episode calling herself lazy. Like someone else is just exhausted because they were up with their kids all night and they're calling themselves lazy because they want to take a nap. And like, I feel like we're just all our sheep critic is in our head telling us the same thing that our neighbor and our friend and our family members thinking, but we're not sharing that with each other. So we're all trapped and isolated in our heads thinking the same awful things about ourselves. And none of them are true. And I feel like you know, when I looked back at myself at Mongolia, the bully pointing his horn at me in Mongolia and, and saying, like, she's so disgusting. She has no control of her body functions. Like, she's like an animal. The way she was pooping like that, she looked like a dog. My own sheep critic is saying these horrible things to me. But the thing is, I'm, I'm not all of those things. If I can look with a lens of self-compassion, with the lens of maybe, like, a loving grandmother. If I can if I can look at myself through one of these lenses, I can see, wow, it's I wasn't in that situation in Mongolia because I'm a mess or I can't handle it or I'm weak. I was in that situation because I have a disease that's ravaging my body and I was having a painful flare. That's why I was in that situation. And so bringing in that understanding and recognizing where was I actually? Like, what is the true facts of the situation when I can turn off the sheep critic? So what we really, really want you to take away from this episode is that you're not broken. It is not your fault you have endometriosis. There is nothing that you could have done or not done to prevent endometriosis, to prevent a flare, to make you feel different or a certain way. You're not lazy. You're not inadequate. You're not unlovable. You're not undeserving. You deserve to feel better. We all deserve to feel better. And so we just want you to take a look at your thoughts and your feelings when you're having them. And if you're having this, these really strong, you know, especially what would be considered like negative feelings towards yourself, like I hate myself or I'm so guilty for XYZ or I'm a burden then just ask yourself, is this the truth? Is this a belief that I'm having? Is this a story about myself that I can change? What are the bigger facts? What are the bigger picture? Is this the voice of my sheep critic? Or is this the voice of a loving grandmother or a loved one that cares about me? What voice is speaking right now? And how can I bring in more compassion and change that voice? I think all that is really, really important. And that for me has been a huge, vital, vital part of healing emotionally when dealing with endometriosis, of feeling different in my life. 
and feeling more confident and feeling more joy and feeling more meaning and feeling more whole. And those are really beautiful feelings to be working towards. And even if those feelings feel so far away from you and so out of reach right now, we just want you to to know and to believe that they're possible for all of us. And one of the first steps to accessing those feelings is just believing that it is possible to one day get there. Again, this isn't this is the long marathon. This isn't the sprint. This isn't the okay, I'm happiness is possible and now I'm happy. This is not A how long journey. <laughs> this is not how that works. And you know, if it takes a few weeks or months or years to work through something, then that's how long it takes. But every day we make a step in the right direction. And one day we get there. And then we take a picture, a selfie with our sheep. We send it back to our loved one on a postcard. <laughs> We're like, look where I am in the Eiffel Tower Aww. with my sheep. <laughs> <laughs> you brought a sheep all the way up to the top. Yeah, it's Love my that. emotional support sheep. <laughs> Actually, it's your endometriosis support sheep. Okay. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> it has the same. It's an emotional support animal. You have an endometriosis support animal. ESA, the same. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I also want to point out that all the things we talked about today are like running themes in my book. And so I just wanted to remind you that I am a published author now. She is. Ah. <laughs> what I want is I put all of those writings in the book with a with a hope of bringing these ideas of possibility to other people. And we're all in different places in our journey and where we are. And sometimes we just need that spark of possibility, that that seed planting that it is possible to feel differently. Sometimes what we need is a little bit more of a guide because we do believe it's possible to feel differently, but we don't know how to. Sometimes we need a little bit more support, like we're actively putting in practices to feel differently, but we, you know, need support and maybe inspiration and feeling like we're not alone and that reminder that like we're going to get there. And so if these topics are interesting to you, then they're, they're, all of these are weaved throughout my book, looking at your self-talk, self-compassion, self-acceptance. And bringing that all of that in to try to emotionally heal and to try to feel whole. So I just want to remind you that if that's interesting to you, please check my book out. The name of the book is in the show notes today. It's Finding Peace with a Devastating Disease by Amy Corfelli. I would love to do a little exercise as our final goodbye. Uh, Final goodbye. Ooh, as our goodbye today. (laughs) Sounded like we were never coming back. As our goodbye today, I would love if everybody, if you're in the place to do this, if you feel mentally okay to repeat, totally go for it. If you're not in the place, don't feel like you have to repeat. But I would love if on the count of three, you can just acknowledge out loud to yourself or in your mind or however you'd like to acknowledge, I am not broken. So I'm going to count to three and then you can take a moment to do that for yourself. One, two, three. I am not broken. And if I want to acknowledge it like this, I am not broken. (laughs) You can also do that. (laughs) If you want to scream it, you can scream it. If you want to cry it, you can cry it. However you want to let that out, we just invite you to do that. So thank you so much for listening to our episode today. As always, we are on Instagram at in16yearsofendo. We have the website in16years.com. I guess I'll plug the book here again too. The and we book. have the book. We have the book. 
I don't know what that one was. A scared sheep. <laughs> we have the book. <laughs> that was quite good. <laughs> Which is called Finding Peace with a Devastating Disease. So please, as always, reach out. We love hearing from you. Do not be shy. If you love the podcast, please rate it. If you if you loved the book, please rate that as well on Amazon or whatever app you bought it from. Thank you so much. And we'll talk to you next time.